values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, very often we talk about the shortage of police officers and the danger to our community and the rise in crime and the rise in response times and how dangerous that is for the average citizen. But public safety as a whole is something we support here on the show often. And we have not talked a whole lot about staffing shortages with Phoenix Fire. Uh, you can go. There are a couple of stories up at KTAR.com. And they're asking for public support. Uh, they say that the response times are increasing due to lack of resources and population growth. So joining us now to talk about it is P.J. Dean. He's the Secretary of Communications for United Phoenix Firefighters Association, Local 493. P.J., uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Uh, you and I had a conversation about this, and you had thrown out some pretty staggering statistics at me, and I had no idea um, what's happened with response times and what's happening at Phoenix Fire. Can you go over a little bit of that with the audience and tell us what how, how big of a deal this is? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't think many people have uh, much of an idea because we've just been, you know, keeping ourselves resilient and trying to, you know, wade through this issue. But uh, it's actually quite concerning at this point because in the past decade, uh, we've had, a, you know, an exponential amount of growth in the city of Phoenix. We've probably had 300,000 people move here. Uh, that's equated to about a 49% increase in call volume and also an 80% increase in our uh, average response time. Uh, and that's all with about a 2% increase in resources to combat that. So we have this sort of divergence between resources uh, and demand, and it's gotten to the point of being critical where we feel it's just flat out unsafe and clearly not going to get better unless uh, some pretty aggressive actions are taken. So um, can you, it makes common sense to most people, but they need to hear it. Can you talk about the difference it takes every minute that you're delayed or any, every minute longer it takes you to get to the scene of a fire? How much does that fire grow? Uh, fires grow unbelievably fast in a very small amount of time. And that's actually increased in the past few years because they've started to use a lot more synthetic materials, a lot more lightweight materials in construction and in uh, uh, furnishings of homes, et cetera. So fires burn much hotter, much more rapidly. They're much more dangerous. So our ability to get to them quicker is is now more important than ever. And it's to the point where, where seconds, minutes literally count, can literally be the difference between life and death. And that's whether someone's trapped in a fire or someone's having a medical emergency where they could be unconscious, heart attack, drownings, tra- trauma, anything like that. Uh, it truly matters for us to get there quickly and truly has a profound impact on survivability. So that's why it's so important to us. And that's why we, we feel an obligation to share this with the public, just to make sure that they're aware so that they can uh, take the necessary steps to encourage our leadership to add more resources to keep us safe. Um, what is the average response time now to a scene, whether it's a fire or medical emergency now compared to, let's say, 10 years ago? So uh, in 2010, we had right about a five-minute response time on the average. That's That means a fire truck getting to your front door for whatever emergency you were having uh, anywhere in the city. Uh, that has now grown 80% up to about 9%, uh, which we feel is just really, really concerning. That's way too much time in a fire or medical emergency uh, that could be you know critical in nature. Well, we have to get there quickly. And if a fire truck is out on another call because we're so busy, that means another fire truck has to come from an adjoining area. So that almost doubles the response 
response time. So it's it's very concerning the lack of resources that have created the situation we have, and uh, that that ability to get there quickly to uh, whether it's fire suppression or medical aid, uh, those seconds count, man. They really do. It it can be life and death, and it's amazing the difference a few minutes makes in getting to something quicker. And isn't the projection that it's going to get even worse than the nine minute response time now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the trending has been nothing but up in the past decade, and that's directly attributed to the growth of the city of Phoenix. I think everyone can appreciate the fact that it's not going to get better anytime soon. Phoenix is not going to stop growing. It's going to keep growing. So we're going to keep having this problem unless we add a profound amount of resources to the fire department to keep pace with that growth. And we just haven't done that. In the, in the decade between 2010 and 2020, we built one fire station. That's not enough to move the needle. That's not enough to stay abreast of our growth. That's why we're sounding the alarm trying to create awareness so that with some of the upcoming opportunities and also a, a commitment to the long term, let's keep these resources being built so that we don't find ourselves in the same situation again. PJ Dean is joining us. He's with Phoenix Fire. So uh, how many fire how many fire stations need to be built to catch up with growth? How do we catch up? I know it's not just hiring people, but we're a wide city. Phoenix is not a tall city. It's a wide city. So those response times are dictated by obviously how far away you are. How many more need to be built and how quickly? Correct. So we have two kinds of growth in Phoenix. And I think we've discussed this before. I mean, you have that sort of outline growth that goes laterally. That's kind of what they call urban sprawl. But lately, we've seen a lot of growth back into the center of the city where we're actually growing up. So it's literally two directions at the same time, which makes it a uniquely challenging. So what we need to do is not only build fire stations in the peripheral areas that we're growing to, but we need to rebuild inner city fire stations to have more capability. Um, and at this point, there's a uh, 2023 general obligation bond hearing coming up uh, where they're going to consider a bond program. We put in for eight fire stations. That's what we need. Uh, it was whittled down to four fire stations. And we think that's just taking a step in the wrong direction and not putting the right amount of resources. So we're advocating for eight fire stations to be included in this upcoming bond issue. Uh, there were supposed to be about 12 fire stations built in the past decade, and they just never came to fruition because of you know the Great Recession and a variety of other reasons. But it's time to start getting serious about adding these resources. All right, so I'd like to get a comment for you on a completely different topic. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you about this, but I read a story recently about how they are changing um, the the designation of cancer being caused by fighting fires, that the carcinogens that firefighters face is as dangerous, that it's the number one killer of firefighters in America is is the carcinogens that you that are breathed in and the washdown kits that are, are they on every one of your fire trucks now at Phoenix Fire or is it just most of them? Correct. That is standard procedure for us now. They have that tool on every fire truck. Uh, that's an immediate concern when we get out of fires to, to just kind of hose ourselves off our exterior of our equipment. And then also when we get back to stations, kind of decontaminate ourselves. That kind of cancer trending is directly attributable to the uh, synthetic materials that are being used uh, in houses. A lot of petroleum-based plastic products, when they burn, they're a carcinogen. We actually absorb them through our skin, through our suits. So we've seen an exponentially higher amount of cancer cases that are killing firefighters across the nation uh, un un unreasonably so, uh, you know, outside of what happens with the average person with cancer. Uh, and it's a grave concern. So that's just one of the many aspects of the job that, you know, we've had to kind of absorb as a challenge in addition to increasing uh, call volume, sleep deprivation, uh, cancer, you know, uh, mental wellness, physical wellness, the whole nine yards with, with the added workload and the added challenges that we currently face in our industry, uh, having those resources and 
getting more help is what's going to really help us the most and keep us safe so that we can be there for you when you need us. Can you give out that website where people can actually see what you've put up there about the crisis here in Phoenix? Absolutely. If they go to uh, www.phxfirecrisis.com, they'll see all the information that we have there. And we're continually updating that site uh, so that people just have the awareness. You know, this this isn't anyone's fault, per se. We're not blaming anyone. It's just an aspect that we have to deal with with a a uniquely and rapidly growing city. So uh, we see it first. We have a unique perspective. We want to share that perspective with the community and with city leadership so that they have the same concerns that we do and can champion that cause and make public safety a priority. At this point, it doesn't appear in this upcoming bond election uh, or bond process that public safety is really taking precedence over other aspects of the city. And we really feel it should not, not that we feel we're more important, but it's just, it's a vital service that really needs to be prioritized because it has not for many years. Once we get that squared away, once we have the ability to adequately protect our city, then let's start working on libraries, parks, and all those other things that, that make our city great. So that's, that's our plea to the community. Yeah, well said, well said, and I hope people will check out the website. PJ, thank you so much for coming on, and I want to invite you back as this progresses to find out if there is progress being made. We'd love to be here, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. All right, that's PJ Dean from Phoenix Fire. Some amazing statistics. We have gone from a five-minute response time just a little over 10 years ago uh, to a nine-minute response time and dramatically changes the outcome many times when it's a fire or a medical emergency, and we're trending in the wrong direction. Keep that in mind. Coming up in a moment, Arizona takes a bigger hit on the water supply, what it means to the average person in Arizona. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. We're going to give you an opportunity to hear more great stories about our give right now that's going on with Phoenix Children's, presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and Akchen Indian community. Let me give you the phone numbers and the way you can donate if you have time to do it right now. The Desert Financial Phone Bank number is 602-933-4567. That's 602 Four five six seven. Again, we are raising money for Phoenix Children's Hospital. It costs about two point seven, just under that uh, million dollars per day to run Phoenix Children's. But the work they're doing is invaluable. Uh, you can also text the word "give" to four one one ninety two three, and there'll be a link right there for you to give. Uh, so please do that if you can. You're going to hear some more great stories in a few moments. Uh, Arizona, Nevada and Mexico are going to take the hardest hits with the new water regulations that are that are coming. Starting January 1st, Arizona reduces the amount of water it takes from the river, from the Colorado River, by 592,000 acre feet. That's about 22% of the water that we get from the river now. And so then Nevada takes about 25,000 acre feet less. Mexico gets 104,000 acre feet less. California gets no restrictions. And so if anybody says, well, why is that? There was an agreement made by the Western states years ago to, to, to develop the Central Arizona project that diverts that water here from there. And in order to get California to sign on to that, this is the deal that was made. This 
this was the negotiation. They are the last ones to get hit with any uh, any form of regulation or any reduction. Now, what is interesting about that, and I'm not saying it's fair, and life isn't about fairness. We have to deal with what is. Arizona has done a better job than just about all of our neighbors in in retaining uh, you know, rainwater and, and saving water, conserving. We have done an excellent job. Um, this drought is not our fault, but we are the ones that are going to take a big hit. Now, the average person in Arizona is not going to see any restrictions. Arizona farmers are going to take the hit. Starting January 1st, growers in Pinal County lost their access to water from the Central Arizona Project, and that won't change in 2023. And Arizona cities deliver a mix of water from the Colorado River, the Salt and Verde Rivers, and where conditions are better, Phoenix declares what is called a stage one water alert, but focused on water conservation, especially outdoors. City officials don't anticipate any mandated limits on use in the coming year. So the average person, if you have a lawn that you're watering, they say outdoor watering. We had somebody come on from the city of Phoenix. And the biggest thing that anybody can do when it comes to water conservation, for the most part, where they see the biggest waste is watering your lawn. The time of day you water it, if you're watering it every day, the duration of your watering, that people are overwatering their lawns, that your lawn doesn't need nearly as much water as you're putting on it to keep it alive and keep it vibrant, that you can cut that back. So I would say to you, talk to someone, talk to whoever, a landscaper you know, someone that knows that industry to find out what you should be doing so that you can conserve, reset your timer. Uh, I think that's just one of the common sense thing we can do. We know we have, um, you know, uh, low water uh, toilets are being used or no water in some in some buildings. So we have always been cognizant in the desert that water is a precious uh, resource and it's something we have to conserve and we have. Now we're having a, a, especially in northern Arizona, a wet monsoon, which is helpful. We also know that it's the wintertime and the snowfall and the snowpack that dictates a lot more of how much water is coming. The, the Farmer's Almanac is saying that it's going to be a cold winter, a very cool fall and a cold winter in Arizona, which could be a good thing long term. But we are seeing now the results of a drought that's been going on for quite a long time. Arizona has done a good job of anticipating this and doing a lot of good things with conservation and retaining you know, rainwater and where we store it. It's, it really has done a good job. But the next step is going to be what do we do next? You know, Estimates, and I'd love to get more experts on to talk about this. The idea of diverting water from the Mississippi River where the river floods areas there where they have too much water from that river, what would it take? to build a pipeline to bring that water here to Arizona. The cost would be one thing, but if time is of the essence, how how quickly could something like that be done? A desalination plant where you could uh, you could take, you know, you take salt water from the oceans, um, expensive proposition, but when could that be done? Would that be part of our long-term goals in Arizona? We are hearing more conversations about this, and I don't think the conversations are going to end anytime soon, and nor should they. This is going to be one of the number one issues for growth for us in Arizona, sustainable growth and i'm just anxious i'm anxious to be a part of it Coming up in a moment, uh, we have got some more great stories from our Giveathon for Phoenix Children's Hospital. More opportunities for you to donate, and then another great um, uh, example of corporate partnership. You're going to hear all of it coming up here in just a couple of moments. The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Give us on, on the Mike Broomhead Show. 
We are right in the middle of the give right in the middle of it right now. A lot of you have donated, and a big thank you to all of you that have so far. We want to thank you for your generosity and for your kindness, but we are not even close to being done. This is a partnership between us and great corporate partners and people like you, and we've got great volunteers in the call center. The Desert Financial Phone Bank is open right now. And before we get to the phone numbers, before we give you, give you an opportunity to join us, I want you to get here another great check presentation. These are the people from Alaska USA Foundation. Hi, I'm Todd Pearson, Southwest Regional President for Alaska USA Federal Credit Union. Alaska USA Federal Credit Union and Alaska USA Foundation have been proud partners of PCH for the last six years. And with that, we'd like to present this check for $10,000 to Phoenix Children's Hospital. On behalf of the 760,000 members worldwide of Alaska USA and Alaska USA Foundation, we're so proud to be a part of the Giveathon this year. And we please ask that you call the phone bank at 602-933-4567. We appreciate your help. That's an amazing, generous donation made by a corporate partner, your opportunity to join us. And it's going to take all of us to keep this place going and to let it thrive and keep helping families. I want you to hear another Madame Holmes uh, story of hope. Armando's little daughter doesn't remember anything about the day that she was run over by a car. But it's a day that Armando will never forget. This is Amanda's story. I'm Armando. My name is Amanda, and this is my story. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. I was hit by a car. She had a fractured pelvis in four places, laceration on her liver, very serious brain injury. She had a tracheostomy. I don't even remember that day. I just saw black. Even though everybody was telling us she was not going to make it, she's here, breathing by her own, walking, talking. I had to get better. I had to try. Mandy, she's a warrior. Honestly, believe in miracles. That day when my daughter was hit by the car, a retired nurse was driving by. He stopped. He started performing CPR while the paramedics got there. I almost, I think I was going to break his back because I hugged him as hard as I could and I thank him. God works in mysterious ways. I struggled for my physical therapy. Seeing her in pain, crying, the therapist would ask her, you want to stop? And every single time she will answer, no. At that time, I would break my heart seeing her in pain, but also she was giving me a lesson of being a fighter. The doctors are amazed with her progress. She's doing very good, getting stronger day by day. I want to be either an author, director, vet, like a musician. My dream for Mandy is recover 100% and to be independent. She needs to work hard. We'll be by her side. Thank 
hospital, Phoenix Children's Hospital, the doctors, nurses, therapists. I was so grateful for them. They treat us like a family. Imagine if your kid was in that position. It's very important to help PCH. You can make a difference. I saw it with my daughter. Donate, please. What an amazing story of courage. What a tough little girl. And imagine being a parent and getting a phone call that your child had been run over by a car and, and the long road to recovery in Phoenix Children's. Such a big part of that for so many families. And that is exactly why we're doing the things we're doing now to partner with Phoenix Children's Hospital so they can continue to do the great work they're doing for children all over the valley and really all over the country as well. That is the match music. Our friends at Train right now are going to match your donation, which means anything you can donate is going to double right now. 602-933-4567. That's the Desert Financial Phone Bank phone number. Let's get those phones ringing. 602-933-4567. Or if it's easier, you can text GIVE to 411-923. There's a link there for you to donate. It is a great way to help out. You're going to feel great about helping out this great cause. So do what you can when you can. That is the Train Teddy Bear Express. You can be a champion of hope by donating $20 per month. That's $240 for the year. You are considered a champion of hope. And they have these beautiful little teddy bears. And one will be delivered to one of these children. I had the privilege of delivering bears at the hospital. And it changes everybody's attitude. We all cried together. We smiled. And it is such a great icebreaker and gives these kids something to look forward to. And one will be donated in your name when you become a champion of hope. 602 933 4567. That's 602-933-4567. Any donation you can give would be fantastic. If you could be a champion of hope, we would sure love that. And if you want to text in for a link, you just text the word give to 411-923. It is such a privilege to be a part of this effort, uh, to do this with the community and to see how much this community is willing to give. We have raised so much money so far. I hope you're uh, uh, proud of what this community is doing because Phoenix Children's is such an essential part of who we are. And if you ever have, have had a child there for any reason, you are so thankful that they are there. If you've not had a child there, be thankful they are there because these families truly do need them. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk a little bit more about public safety, a record set in Maricopa County and not one we want to set. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, we got so much to get to. And again, I want to say thank you in advance to everybody out there that has donated or anybody that is going to be able to it this week at some point to the uh, Giveathon for Phoenix Children's Hospital. It's presented again this year by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. And so many of you have been so gracious, and we appreciate that very much. If you're able to jump in with us, you're going to have more opportunities this morning. But the phone lines are always open, 602-933-4567. And that's the Desert Financial Phone Bank, 602-933-4567. Let's keep them busy because that call center is right here in this building. I went back and said hello to the volunteers that are answering your phone calls right now. Great people. Um, 
this story is not one we want to tell. Uh, a record number of murder cases are being investigated in Maricopa County after a violent weekend led to the killing of six people, according to the county's top prosecutor. That's the county attorney's office. Two people were killed in Mesa on Friday in separate incidents. Another two were stabbed to death on Saturday in Mesa and in Phoenix. And two more people were shot dead on Sunday in Phoenix. One of the victims was 15 years old. So I want to talk a little bit about we always talk about public safety. There are a number of things that are going on here, and I believe this to be true because it's happening all over the country. The people that have been saying defund the police, it's happening in New York right now, that this is this this goes past party lines. But there were largely they were there were largely uh, members of the Democratic Party that were doing it. But I don't think it's a partisan issue. And here's what I mean by that. It is Democrats that are pushing back against those Democrat operatives, so to speak, that were part of the defund the police movement. There's a congressman from New York who was a big proponent of defunding the police. That district, which I think is in the Bronx, I think um, that district has seen a huge increase in criminal behavior. There has been a massive exodus from the NYPD. We are seeing an exodus from policing across the country. And I will tell you that I am someone that can see both sides of an issue as much as anyone else can. Do I think that there can always be changes and improvements to any industry? Absolutely I do. But the idea that the policing as a profession is inherently bad, and that was one of the things this congressperson said um, in New York is that you can't fix it. You've got to dismantle it, defund it and get rid of it. Well, when you have leadership fostering that kind of sentiment, we have always had an element in our society that is an anti-establishment, anti-authority, anarchist kind of an attitude. Sometimes it is uh, Occupy Wall Street. Sometimes it's Antifa. It was uh, uh, the Black Panthers back in the 1960s. There is always uh, the, the Weathermen Underground. There have always been these organizations that are subversive, kind of anti-leadership, anti-authority people. But when they become in when their when their voices are echoed in leadership, it changes the game. You know, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing because we've got to deal with what, in my opinion, what reality is. And what I mean by that is in the Phoenix City Council, Carlos Garcia uh, is an anti-cop. Member, And he would say, I think, I don't know that he would call it anti-cop, but he's definitely a defund the police um, advocate in the city of Phoenix. And he's on the Phoenix City Council. As a matter of fact, he represents me on the Phoenix City Council. And um, I've had conversations with him. I've had him in studio here, and he is a a reasonable – he's not loud and he doesn't scream and yell. He's a, a pragmatic in the sense you have a reasonable conversation with him, but I don't know where his views of defunding the police have come from. But if you look at it, and I disagreed with it, it's foundation, but now you have to look at results, and that's another thing. When you have an idea, if you're a leader, if you're in leadership and you have an idea and you say, this is the direction I want to go, and you make a convincing argument – And people go in that direction, and it turns out that that course of action is wrong. You as a leader have to say, my intentions were good, the results weren't, and we have to go in another direction. And we are seeing this. San Francisco is putting funds back into the police department in San Francisco. They have a new district attorney that is going to be tougher on crime. They are rescinding 
plea agreements and plea offers. They are rescinding a lot of those. You were They tried to recall the DA in L.A. and they fell short, although the groups say they're going to keep trying. So there is – I am telling you that there is a movement in this country now that understands that we have two courses of action. One of them is we continue down the road of this anti-police attitude. And what it's going to do is it's going to do a lot of damage, and it has been doing a lot of damage in the very neighborhoods that were told defunding the police would be better for you. We are seeing a huge rise in crime in working class neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods as well. And we're seeing that huge crime, that crime uprising. Well, it's because predators, bad criminals, people that would prey upon you understand that they can get away with it. That whether it's lack of police officers or lack of enforcement or lack of prosecution, they have the upper hand. And unless we send a signal, it's going to continue that way, which means people like you and people like me will be left to fend for ourselves. And I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you. I do the best I can. I'm not Chuck Norris. I'm not any of those guys. I do the best I can to be as prepared as I can to protect myself, to protect my neighbors, to protect innocent people if it's necessary. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not sitting in my living room at night with one of my rifles or one of my handguns waiting for someone to break into my house. I'm not daring someone to attack me. I I, I don't want any of that to happen. And when bad things happen, the first thing I want to do is pick up the phone, dial 911, and let the police handle it. I will defend myself if I'm forced to. But that direction only works when you have enough police officers to police the streets to be adequately patrolled and you have enough cops behind the scenes that can do the follow-up investigations and make arrests and you have enough prosecutors that are willing to prosecute those cases and put people away if necessary to either protect us by getting them away from us or change them, allow them time to rehabilitate. Or the other course is we go the direction we're going now where you see the demographics of people that are buying firearms. You're seeing African-American women as a huge rising group of people that are buying firearms. Why? Because they are seeing the need to protect themselves and their families. Which course of action do we want? We have got to change course. We've got to do it dramatically and we've got to do it quickly. And we need leadership in our city, in our counties, in our state that are willing to make the decisions to make that happen. Public safety as a whole. We're going to talk more about fire and the dangers there of not having a growing fire department. This is the other side of public safety. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we are going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, black farmers, and forgiveness of student loans. All coming up next.